Welcome to the No Water Methodist Church Podcast, where we hope to encourage you in your spiritual journey so that you may be a blessing to your local church and to the world. Hi, friends. It's the No Water Methodist Podcast. Thank you for joining us. It's Pastor Jeffrey here. I'm the voice you usually hear because I'm the pastor. And on the day that I'm recording this, it is about the last day of Christmas. Remember, there's 12 days of Christmas, and um, we're about to take all the Christmas decorations down in the sanctuary and resume ordinary time. And I'm kind of sad. I like Christmas. I like Christmas after the first day of Christmas. The first day of Christmas is just so busy and stressful, but after that it's just peaceful. I haven't had to fast for a couple weeks now, and it's been really quite nice, um, but we're resuming a regular schedule and rhythm over here at the church. Uh, TJ and I should be generating some more content here soon. That means uh, our podcasts are not going to be just our worship content, but should have some other good stuff for you. But um, this podcast is worship from this last Sunday. And as always, we go by the Revised Common Lectionary readings, and we do all four of them, and I know that's weird, but I just think it's good for us to have a lot of scriptures. So um, the themes for this day seem to be uh, Christ calling all things to unity in himself, and how Old Testament prophecies about um, the lost being returned to Israel starting in the, well, this reading is in the prophet Jeremiah, but that that prefigures the consummation of all creation foretold in the New Testament that was inaugurated by Christ, but also talked about very well by St. Paul. And then, you know, we, uh, at the end of worship, have the Gospel of one, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, where it talks about all things being rooted in Christ Jesus, uh, the eternal Word made flesh. So, as usual, I didn't do justice to the the beauty of the topic, and I watched some uh, footage of myself from my sermon yesterday. I was comparing myself to other pastors, and I realized I came off as a little bit manic, um, and uh, I'll apologize to you for that. It's not my intention to stress anybody out, but um, when you see how all this stuff is connected and how beautiful the truth is, it's really hard not to get excited about it and to convey that excitement. So um, anyway, I hope it's not a stumbling block to you, because God help me if I'm a stumbling block. But as always, I hope this is just really useful to you in your your personal walk. I, I, I ask that you'd continue to pray for this church as we continue to generate content and put it out into the world. Um, there is sometimes that fear that we're not doing the transformative ministry that we're called to do, and of course we're, we're doing this in hopes to do a lot more in the future, not just talk and generate content, but actually engage on a much deeper and more profound level with people here in our, our uh, missional area. But for right now, this is what we do, and uh, I believe it's worthy, and I'm just so tickled that a number of you uh, download the podcast and listen to it and uh, pray about it and reflect on it, and may these be seeds that bear a lot of fruit in your life. So as usual, we have four readings this Sunday, Old Testament, Psalm, New Testament, Gospel. The first three readings 
are really focused on, well, in the fourth to a degree, focused on the unity, the consummation of all creation. The Old Testament readings focus on the sign act of God reuniting the people of Israel. If you don't know the history of the people of Israel, we talk about it all the time. Your eyes are probably glazing over and you're probably zoning out, but it's important not to because the people of Israel are uh, in more than one place in the Bible called God's son. And one of the readings today has God calling the people of Israel his son. Now Jesus is the new son that fulfills what the old son could not. But the old son was brought into uh, the land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land. God brought his chosen people, the Israelites, into that land. And they formed a, a kingdom there that for a while was united under Saul, then David, then Solomon. But because of Solomon's failures to be faithful, it split into northern Israel and southern Judah. Both existed for over a century, but finally they were so unfaithful in their covenant with God. Their kings were so abysmal. Their prophets were so false. The people were so idolatrous that God eventually let them suffer the punishment for their sins. The Assyrians evaded in the north and wiped out Israel and flung them to the far reaches of the world. And then the Babylonians invaded the south and they were exiled now, even though what happened later was the Persian Empire came and destroyed the Babylonians and King Xerxes sent the Israelites back to restore their kingdom, there were promises made. One of them we're going to hear now from the prophet Jeremiah. There were promises made about people from north and south would be brought back together to reconstitute God's kingdom in a reign of perfect peace. And that's what they wanted the Messiah for. That's what the Messiah was foretold to do. He was going to be a military leader that would gather from the far reaches of the world all the Jews that had been scattered, and they would, uh, he would be an eternal king in the line of David who reestablished faithful covenant with the Father. So that all got redone in ways that they couldn't have predicted that we now know because Jesus revealed himself to us, and that's what our last reading is about. But we're going to just trace our way through this. So our first reading is going to be from the prophet Jeremiah. It's going to be this prophecy about the people being brought back into unity with one another in God. So let's turn our attention to our first reader. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> I, before I start reading this, I woke up this morning and I thought about my dad. He's been gone now for about 30 years, but for some reason he was on my mind. And uh, I remember one little story he told me. I'm going to tell it to you because it's short. Um, there's this church trying out a new preacher. And uh, anyway, they were kind of seeing how they liked him and everything. After service one day, uh, the preacher was greeting everybody as they left. And uh, he had this little boy come up to him and was holding up some money. And, and the preacher said, son, what's this for? And he said, it's for you. He said, well, why is it for me? And he said, my dad said, you're a very poor preacher. <laughs> but anyway, that's one of my dad's old stories that I just thought I'd share it with you. Nothing about this past year. Oh, no, no, it has nothing. I didn't even think about you. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, I always thought that was kind of a cute little story. Anyway, I'm uh, going to be reading from Jeremiah 31, 7 to 14. Um, 
it can be found in your pew Bibles, 1110, and listen to the word of God. For thus saith the Lord, sing with gladness for Jacob, and shout among the chief of the nations. Publish ye, praise ye, and say, O Lord, save thy people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country, and gather them from the coastals of the earth, and with them the blind and the lame, the woman with child, and her traveleth with child together, a great company shall return thither. They shall come with weeping and speculations, with lead them, and I will cause them to walk by the rivers of water, a straight way within they sh shall not stumble, for I am a father to Israel, and Etham is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O ye nations, and declare it in the isles afar off, and say, He has scattered Israel with gathered him, and gather, and keep him as a shepherd docked his flock. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and ransomed from him the hand of him that was stronger than he. Therefore, they come and sing, come and sing in the height of Zion, and shall flow together to the goodness of the Lord, for wheat and for wine, and for oil, and for the young of the flock, of the herd, and their soul shall. Be be as a watered garden, and they shall not sorrow any more at all. Then shall the virgin rejoice in the dance, both young men and old together. For I will turn for mourning into joy, and will comfort them, and make them rejoice from their sorrow. And I will set to take the soul of the priest, and the fatness in the people shall be satisfied, with my goodness, saith the word, the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So is this a happy reading or a sad reading or a mad reading? Those are usually the three options. It's a happy one. Yeah, it's a happy one. Now, why? So it starts off, sing with gladness for Jacob and shout among the chief of the nations. Publish ye, praise ye, and say, O Lord, save thy people. So it's saying right now. Rejoice, But then the rest of the, the prophecy, is it talking about what's happening right now or is it talking about what will happen at a later date? Oh, yeah, I set it up. It should be obvious even if you weren't paying attention. He's saying rejoice now over something that hasn't happened yet. And then the substance of what hasn't happened yet is God will bring back to the Holy Land all those that were scattered abroad. And whenever he's talking to Jacob... When he's talking about Ephraim, whenever he's saying Ephraim is my firstborn, where was that? Verse 9, they shall come with weeping. That sounds sad until you realize people cry when they're happy too, don't they? You know, and whenever eventually part of the remnant comes back and rebuilds the foundations of the temple, it's described in Ezra, everybody has heard weeping and wailing for a long distance out because they're so emotionally affected by restoring that which was lost so they're coming back weeping they will they shall come with weeping and with supplications will I lead them I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way instantly we're thinking he leadeth me beside the still waters 
you know, Psalm 23, wherein they shall not stumble, for I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Ephraim is a stand-in for all the northern tribes. Jacob is a stand-in for all the northern tribes. He uses different terms, but it's all saying even the ones lost in the north will come back and reconstitute the kingdom of Israel. Now, this prophecy has only sort of been fulfilled. I'm of the mind that it hasn't been completely fulfilled. I'm of the mind that these ancient prophecies, God has fulfilled them sort of, but that the Israel, Israelites were scattered to the wind, and one of the things that will happen on the day of the Lord is the kingdom of Israel will be reconstituted. There are some people who think it's going to happen, that's what's going to set off the day of the Lord happening. That they're going to rebuild the third, they're going to build the third temple, rebuild the temple, and that finally people from outside of Israel will come into Israel and a new kingdom will be constituted. There is an Israel there today, but it's not the kingdom of Israel. It's a pseudo-atheist uh, state. They do have people within Israel who want to reconstitute the kingdom of Israel, set up the Davidic line again, build a temple. They want to do that. And then the government is keeping them down because that would almost certainly cause World War III if that happened. There are uh, Arabs that live in the, the region who would, would lose their minds if they did that. Um, it could happen someday. Who knows? However, this is neither here nor there for today's sermon. But I'm of the mind that you can't force God's hand. There are people who read parts of the Bible and go, well, I'm ready for God's kingdom to come now. So we need to do X, Y, or Z to force God's hand and make him do it today. God's going to come on his own time. He's going to come on his own time. You can't force him. You can pressure him. You can petition him in prayer, but that's about all you can do. And he's not going to come any sooner because we rebuild a temple or because we killed a certain amount of people, uh, martyrs, or because we convert all people groups. Uh, God is not waiting on us, and he is not slow. Second Peter says he is patient with us. He's giving us time. But God did fulfill in large part this prophecy. He led the, the southern Judea, uh, uh, Judeans back to a kingdom. Many of the northerners did indeed come back and were a part of the kingdom. God was faithful in this. And what we learn from this is not just that God is faithful, but who he cares about. It's not just the rich and powerful. Verse 8, Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the coasts of the earth and with them the blind and the lame. The woman with child and her that travaileth with child together. That's when you travail with child, that's you're, you're in labor. It's saying that God cares to get everybody. Not just those who are healthy, not just those with all their senses, not just the men who can fight. Everybody. God cares about everybody. And we'll return to that in our psalm today because we also get other lists of people that he cares about. But this act of God letting us be scattered and then bringing us all back together... That's, in one sense, the whole story of the Bible. Because remember, the Bible tells a story about God making a creation where heaven and earth were one, and he made this perfect garden, and he planted not just plants there, but humans there to tend the plants, and everything was right and in union with each other. And then humanity chose sin, and that's when everything got flung to the far re they, The humans got kicked out of Eden, and then you see what the humans do, and they spread out. You see what happens in the heavenly realms, and they spread out, and there's wickedness all over the place. God is not content to leave it like that. That's, that's the part of history that we're in. But we're told that God is going to bring everything back together. There is going to be a new heaven and a new earth. That which is wicked and dark will be destroyed completely and thrown away into another place. And that all will be left is a new creation, new heaven, new earth, new kingdom. 
and those who are in Christ will be a part of it with God. That's the whole story is we've been flung out. We're in exile right now. We're in a strange land, strange people in a strange land, and God is going to bring us all together. And he showed that he could do that with the Israelites, and we're going to see that he does that with us as well. All right, so with that in mind, let's go to page 859 in the hymnal. It's Psalm 147. So it sounds like this. Praise the Lord who reigns above. Hallelujah. Y'all remember what hallelujah means? Praise the Lord. Yeah, we're saying praise the Lord who reigns above. Praise the Lord. That's what we're saying. All right, let's sing that together twice and then we'll do the reading. Praise the Lord who reigns above. One more time. Praise the Lord who reigns above. Alleluia. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. A song of praise is fitting. The Lord heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Great is our Lord, and abundant in power, whose understanding is beyond measure. Praise the Lord who reigns above. Alleluia. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Who covers the heavens with clouds, prepares rain for the earth, makes grass grow upon the hills. The Lord takes no delight in the might of a horse, nor pleasure in the strength of a runner. Praise the Lord who reigns above. Alleluia. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. Makes peace in your borders, fills you with the finest wheat. The Lord gives snow like wool, scatters hoarfrost like ashes. The Lord sends forth the word and melts them, makes the wind blow and the waters flow. The Lord has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know God's ordinances. Praise the Lord who reigns above. Oh. 
That last line was, the Lord has not dealt thus with any other nation. What nation is he dealing thus with? Israel. Israel. The Lord, the Lord has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know God's ordinances. When, they say, when the psalmist says that, when David says that, whenever he's saying, God, you haven't dealt with any other nation like this, is he complaining against God? God, you hold us to a higher standard. Why don't you hold others to the standard? Is he saying that or is he saying, God, we are his favorite people and he's given us privileged status. Which do you think? Huh? The second one, thank you. Yeah, it's kind of self. The whole thing is praising and blessing God, right? So it'd be weird to say, God, why have you treated us so good? But it associates God's good treatment with his ordinances. And an ordinance is something he tells you to do, right? We live in a culture where we don't like being told what to do. So it seems strange to us to go, God gives us special treatment by telling us what to do. But that's exactly what... The Bible proclaims as God's goodness. God didn't leave us in mystery. He didn't say, figure it out for, her, for yourself. He said, here's how I want you to live. And he gave us this, man, look at how big this Bible is. Where is it? I don't even have a Bible up here. Frank, hold up a Bible. Look, at all, look how big that book is. Or more, more than a thousand pages of God telling us so many things about himself about who we are, about how we ought to live. We don't have to just guess it. We don't have to feel it out. He's told us. And that's a wonderful thing because there are mysteries in life. There are mysteries in life. We're going to talk about some mysteries. You know, the, the sacrament is a mystery, a mystery of how God is going to fulfill, bring to consummation all creation. But there are other things about God that is not a mystery. Like, can you comprehend this? Verse 4, the Lord determines the number of the stars. How many stars are there? Trillions upon trillions, innumerable stars. The Lord determines the number of stars and gives to them all their names. Is that not incredible? Another scripture says that he knows the number of hairs on my head and ostensibly in my beard as well. It's a, it's a, do you imagine how much attention to detail God must have to know that about every single human every single Jesus says not a sparrow falls to the ground that God doesn't know about he cares not just about humans he cares about the stars he cares about the birds I have a hard time caring about anybody outside of my family you know I read history and read about all these different cultures and these people and I go I can't care about all this <laughs> this this is a lot to care about. You know, I, I read the, the news this week about Myanmar. They had a, a government, a, a military takeover whenever uh, Aung San Suu Kyi took over. And then they arrested her and uh, they took over the government. And then the, the people rebelled and there, there's a, a, the, the military against rebels and thousands of people are dying. And I'm going, I'm having a really hard time caring about this. I've only ever known one person from Myanmar. I can barely tell you anything about their country, but I know every single person there is made in God's image, and God loves each of them as much as he loves me. And even though I have a hard time loving them, God doesn't. God does not have a hard time loving them at all. He has all the energy in the world for loving people who don't even know him. And that's what we're going to talk about in the gospel reading today. It says Jesus came to his own, and his own didn't even know him. God loves those. He doesn't love us back 
He loved us first, and we love him back. And that's what we find in this scripture, we, this, this psalm that we just did. God has all this energy for knowing and loving us, but there are things he doesn't care about. There's one thing it says he doesn't care about at all. Verse 10, the Lord takes no delight in the might of a horse, nor pleasure in the strength of a runner. You know what this probably means? It probably means that God does not care about sports. I'm being serious. God does not care about sports. He could not care less about what happens in a football game or a soccer game. Uh, I've seen a meme passed around, and it's really true. Parents, everybody's putting all this stock into their kids becoming professional athletes. The likelihood of a child becoming a professional athlete is, athlete is infinitesimal. The likelihood of your child appearing before God and having to answer for every thoughtless word that came out of their mouth is 100%. 100%. And yet, how many parents are equipping their children to be athletes, and God doesn't care about that, and they're not at all preparing their children to answer to the living God? Did I make how clear that strangeness is? Parents say, well, I don't want to decide for them. Let them decide. Do you let your kids decide what language they're going to speak? Do you let them decide whether or not they're going to go to school and learn things? Do you let them decide what they're going to have for dinner? No? But you're going to let them decide whether or not they meet God or they're with him in the afterlife. You, you don't let kids make decisions that ha they can grow up and become adults and then ruin their lives. But your job as a parent is not to let them let their, make their own decisions. Your job is to make decisions for them. Good decisions. Show them what good decision making looks like. If you leave them to their own devices, that's like God leaving us to our own devices. How does that work out in the Bible when God lets us do what's right in our own eyes? Do good things happen? Read the book of Judges. Terrible things happen. You ever read, what's, what's the, the allegory book where the boys get abandoned on an island? Lord of the Flies. You ever read that? How'd it go for those boys? Bad. They killed Piggy. Bad things happened. Bad things happen when you leave people on their own. You don't leave kids on their own. You don't let them make their own decisions. And the Lord knows that. And so he came to us in the flesh, ministered to us. But in the Old Testament as well, he told them his laws and ordinances. He told them what he expected. And he told them, hey, look, I really don't care about your stupid horse races, okay? I don't care about your track and field events. That's what this is about. I care about righteousness. I care about holiness. I care about how you treat the widow and the orphan and the helpless and the hopeless. I care about how you treat the foreigner in your land. I care about how you move your money around and how you treat your wife and how you treat your kids. All these things together, but he couldn't care less about sports. Now, does that mean that sports are evil? I don't think so. But if your life is tied up in sports too much and they don't, sports don't please God, it can be a problem. So, anyway, I'm glad... Uh, glad Bill Maddox isn't here with us. Man, he loved his OU football. So I remember he would have us pray for his OU teams whenever they didn't work out well. I remember at his funeral, we played the uh, OU fight song. So that guy was all OU, but he also loved the Lord. You know, to be fair to Bill, he loved the Lord. He was a Sunday school teacher here. He would call me with Bible questions all the time. He would act humble like he didn't know the answer with me sometimes. I miss Bill all the time. Anyway, let's, um, let's move along to our New Testament reading. This one is about the mystery of God's plan to fulfill. I'm going to ask you afterwards, what is the mystery? So I'm not going to tell you again right now. It's going to frame it, and it's this one long run-on sentence. Do your best to hold on. I'm going to ask you, what's the mystery? And you're going to tell me. 
Today's third reading comes from Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, which you can find on page 1,646 of your pew Bibles. Let's listen to the word of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having pre predestinated us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us all in wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time, he must gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained on the inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted other than ye heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. The word of the Lord. Did you notice how many times the word predestined or predestinated was in there? Several times. Now, we come from a, a tradition that doesn't talk so much about predestination, talks more about free will. But the reality is, if you're all about free will, parts of the Bible like this make no sense. But if you're all about predestination, then why even write the Bible down, right? Because you're saved whether or not you read it. You're saved no matter what you do. Neither one, neither extreme makes sense. There, there has to be predestination, God's sovereignty, God's in control of everything, God knows everything. There has to be that, and there has to be, there's a role for you and me to play in our own salvation or damnation. That's, that's language from Philippians. Uh, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, it says. Well, if you're predestined uh, to a degree, you don't say that. You know, if there's, if there's nothing to fear, you don't tell people to be afeared, to work things out with fear. So, uh, but on the other hand, I, one of the quotes I love from John MacArthur, a, a modern preacher, he says, if you could lose your salvation, you would. If you know yourself, and if you know how solid you are, and how sinful you are, Someone puts something of infinite value in your hands, you are going to screw it up. Doesn't matter how moral or good you are, you're still a sinner. The reality is that if we could screw things up, we would. And so we believe, Wesleyans, in this thing called preventing grace. 
prevenient grace, it's sometimes called. There's justifying grace, that's when Christ's atoning blood is applied to our hearts. There's sanctifying grace, which is as the Holy Spirit makes us holier in time. But there's this preventing grace, which God gives us, which takes us away from our sin and turns our hearts to him, despite the fact that we are lost in sin. You know, there are a lot of pre churches, pastors that preach, oh, you're not really so bad, you just have some badness in you, but you can get over it, you can make good decisions. That's a Pelagian heresy. The, the, the biblical perspective is, you are messed up, and so am I. We're all irreparably broken outside of God's supernatural touch on you in your life. That is the only thing that has allowed you to ever choose him back. That's the only thing that's ever helped you to love him. It's not how smart you are or what good decisions you make or how moral you are. It's how good God is and the fact that he reached out to you first. And so what this reading tells us is before history even began, God predestinated us, what? To be holy and blameless. If you didn't catch that, that was in uh, verse 5. Having, no, verse 4. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That's what God predestined for you and me. He predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. He made us co-heirs with Christ Jesus. He made us children like Jesus is a child to him. To the praise and glory of his grace, he has made us accepted and beloved. That is too big for me to wrap my pea brain around. God has put a calling on my life so much bigger than anything I could dream. It talks about things in here that many of us wouldn't have a hard time with. But what was that mystery? I said I'd ask you, what is the mystery that it was building up to? What's the mystery that Christ Jesus revealed? God's will is that, what, what, is, what is the particularity of that mystery, what he's going to do with us? Anybody catch the substance of that? Verse 10. That in, dispense, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together all things in Christ. That's the plan right there. Everything has been flung apart. Everything is separated by sin. God is going to bring everything back together. That's the mystery that's fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Was God okay with everything being separate? Was God okay with just choosing one nation among many? Was God okay with, with uh, some, pe some peoples living in darkness? No. He sent the light into the darkness. He sent Jesus not just to the Jews, but to the nations. And so the church has been welcome and open to people of all ages, nations, and races from the beginning. God is bringing all things together in Christ Jesus here and now. And one day, on the day of judgment, we will see the fulfillment of all this. Everything that has been separated will be brought back together. There are going to be people, uh, you know... <laughs> My dogs, this is a silly illustration, sort of, but I think it matters, you know, because we'll say, man, I knew two people in the church that were both saints, but those people hated each other. You mean to tell me they're both going to be in the same kingdom together? And my two dogs that are both now dead, they hated each other. I saw the worst fights that I'd ever seen in my life. There was no world in which these dogs were ever going to get along again. They tore each other apart in front of me. It was it was ghastly. It was awful. But we're told that there's going to be animals in the new creation. And while I'm burying my dog Decius a couple months ago, my daughter says, in, in the new creation, will Constantine and Decius get along? Will they be friends? And I said, yeah, I think they will. And there are people in the church that don't even speak the same language. Maybe their nations were at war with one another. Maybe their own children killed each other. Who knows? But in the new creation, 
All of us who are so far apart now will be brought back together in perfect unity, and God's love will be enough to heal all wounds. And what we're told in all the readings leading up to this is that we won't hold off our celebration until that last day. We're going to start celebrating about that here and now because it's so good. And we know that if we could lose our salvation, we would. God has saved us. He has designated us toward this end goal. He has already welcomed us into his kingdom, and we can taste it so we celebrate here and now. Does that make sense? There's some good news. There's a lot of good news in this tradition. I know I'm always drawn towards the bad a little bit, but it's because the world's trying to get you drunk and make you not pay attention to it. But once you understand the bad news, that's when you can finally receive that good news. And the good news is that God has always been in control, and he's always known and loved you since before you were born, and he has made a a good path for you that ends in a very good place. There's a lot to be thankful for. Our final reading this morning is from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, which you can find on page 1484 of your pew Bibles. Listen again to the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh, And dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have we all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. This is the word of the Lord. This last verse, verse 18, there are several verses in the Bible you can look to to come to the same conclusion. One of the beliefs that Christians have that many people are offended by is that there is no salvation outside of Christ Jesus, that one cannot be right with God unless you're right with Christ Jesus. No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. The notion is that Christ Jesus alone has access to the Father and can connect us to the Father. So if you've ever heard the metaphor that there's one mountaintop and many trails to the mountain, you've got Buddhism over here, Hinduism over here, Judaism over here, Sikhism over here, all of them lead to the mountaintop. The Bible would, in a very firm fashion, say absolutely not. 
those, those traditions are not aiming at the Father. Those traditions might be aiming at the spiritual, but they're not aiming at the Father. The only ones who have access to the Father are connected to the only man who has ever been in the presence of the Father, and that's Christ Jesus himself. So I know that that's a, a statement that offends many people, but whenever, you know, the only way to not get arrested is to pay your taxes, right? You tell your kids, pay your taxes, you know? The only way to get healthy is to go to the gym all the time. You tell your kids, go to the gym. Now, likewise, God warns us, no one has access to the Father except the th Son. And if you want good things for people, whether or not they're your children, you tell them the truth, you have no access to the Father outside of right relationship with the Son. Let me tell you about Jesus. Now, the other stuff in here, all of it's important. All of it is divine, holy word. I could preach on this one reading for another hour. You know, that's not what we're here for today. Rather, we're here for you to get little snippets and connect them together and then go home and be in the word yourselves and have your own. I love when I got a question. I was sitting in the bathroom the other day and I got a text about, you know, why did the Jews rejoice whenever Peter was was uh, arrested? And that's what I'm here to do, folks. You know, whenever you run into something, I love you reaching out, sending me an email, giving me a call. I've, I had a person stop by the office this week, and we were talking for 30 minutes, and he said, oh, you're probably busy. You have other things to do. I said, absolutely not. Please sit down. This is what I signed up for. I love talking, you know. I'll go entire weeks without hardly hearing from any of you, and I know you love me, but let's, let's use each other more. You know, we've got this one life, the purpose of which is to be brought into union with Christ Jesus and with each other, and we're not going to do that if we're each staying separate on our own. We need to come together, not just for worship, but midweek discipleship, I pushed that at the beginning. I'm going to push that at the end of the worship now. Your church is doing the hard work of discipleship. Join in with it, okay? I'm, I'm going to ask you, but don't answer. You know what the answer is. Do you have anything better to be doing with your life than growing in holiness with your brothers and sisters? No, you don't. You have nothing better going on. Let's do it together in 2022. Half of the time, I think the world's going to fall apart this year, and I get kind of apocalyptic about it. And then half the time, I'm going, no, things are going to turn around this year. This is going to be a really good year. And I think whether or not things fall apart for me personally this year, this is going to be a good year for this church. So let's be a part of that together. Amen.